0: Good morning, and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Christy Downs, who is co-founder of Handy. Uh, Christy, how are you?
1: Hi, Alex. Yes, fantastic. Here, little chilly in Vegas, but I shouldn't complain. There are others much,
0: <laughs> in a much
1: worse situation in other parts of the country.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where are
1: you at the moment? Henderson, Nevada. Oh. yeah despite my accent yes
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I did I was thrown by that because I was like I'm sure we were speaking to someone in Australia and then um how long have you been there
1: uh, three years we launched Handy over here three years ago just before COVID
0: yeah oh nice nice well we'll dive into that but before we dive into yeah too many of the questions um perhaps you'd be kind enough to introduce yourself and obviously the Handy business for the people that are there that might not be aware
1: Thanks, Alex. Yes. So my name is Christy, uh, CEO, co founder of Handy. Uh, my uh, co founder is Catherine Wood, and uh, Handy uh, connects insurance companies and their customers to local pre vetted contractors to fast track property claims. Uh, my background was in the construction industry, and my co founder, Catherine, led motor and property claims for a large insurance carrier. So um, together, we, we had this pain point that we just needed to jump out and solve.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So you've already informed us obviously that you're now based in the US and you launched in the US three, three years ago, but but take us back to the beginning. So when you launched in 2019 in, in Australia, I believe.
1: Yes, we did initially. So that's where I'm from, um, as you can hear in my accent. And so, uh, so is Catherine. And um, back then, uh, Catherine had this problem with property claims where Um, you know there's this process that has multiple touch points and suppliers and um, she thought that these small claims should be fast and easy and yet they were starting to cost more money and complaints were going up and so she came to me I was a supplier of hers at the time and I said well it's because as a big construction company I actually prefer a hundred thousand dollar claim you need to get those small claims to local contractors and you need to fast track it to them." and so, you know, technology could do that. And so we launched in Australia initially and um, very quickly we were approached by the Hartford InsurTech Hub, an accelerator over here in the US um, and the problem's the same across the world. So um, we had some key players over here that were keen to get us to launch in the US. And so now we're operating in both countries. Um, wow. Yeah, excited to share more, yeah.
0: Wow, exciting! Um, it's quite nice to be approached to join one of those things. As um, quite often you're you're applying, did that did that just come out of the blue?
1: Well, I think we we knew a friend of a friend who said you need to apply to this thing. So you're right, I did. We definitely did apply. Um, yeah. but, but yes, it was a lovely welcome um, into the market over here. That's that's for sure. Actually, funny story. Um, that's where these vests happen. So when we went to this um, when we went to this accelerator, they said, "Oh, you need to wear matching t-shirts so that we know who's in which team." And we're like, "We don't want to wear that standard black t-shirt that all the startups wear." You know, you see them walking around Silicon Valley, whatever. And so Catherine was like, "I oh, know. We should wear like workwear vests because yeah. you know we're representing the contractors." You know, and um, so that made sense. And so we turned up in our high-vis vests and then that's it. Now, if we if we turn up somewhere we don't have them, they're like, who are you?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, for, for people not watching and only listening, because he's in full high-vis wear. And um, I, I would have been disappointed if you had turned up without it. And I was <laughs> going to mention it because um i think we met very briefly i know i know you had more of a conversation with the rest of the team but we met very briefly in vegas at itc and 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 yeah full high viz at all times every time i saw you i think
1: yeah Uh, contractors we're representing correct with you know they're at the table they're here at the conversation so
0: i like that though because it is true but it is It is useful. I've kind of fought really hard against branded wear just because the quality of it tends to be quite poor. So um, um, I I have tasked um, Sophie with trying to find us some stuff for the next event we go to. But it is the ubiquitous black T-shirt with your logo on it. And uh, it's not that much fun. But, um, yeah, you bring quite a lot of fun to the party. In fact... In Vegas, you had, uh, we were showing you beforehand, you were giving away ducks or <laughs> what yes, was that I think
1: about? <laughs> we had a massive inflatable duck and we had all these little ducks there. And so once again, we were having this conversation and I said to Catherine, like, that ITC is just massive. Like, and as a growing company like ours, like we haven't got a massive stand that, you know, with bells and whistles, like those things can cost 50 grand. And so, and I said to her that we, what do we do to stand out? Like, how do we be memorable? And um, one of our friends is obsessed with um, those rubber ducks. So we bought him this massive inflatable one. And so we're like, let's take the rubber of a duck. And let's take, you know, because we're in property claims and, you know, water mitigation. It's like, keep your head above the water. We've just made up something that kind of connected with our property claims, right? And then everyone loves a duck. So now you guys have got one over there in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah, Ducks are yeah. dated all around the world
0: yeah you should do uh you should do something on your, your your socials about what's the furthest one of your ducks travelled. so uh yeah because oh, we because <laughs> we're definitely in Yeah, as i say we've it's become a bit of a company mascot for us because um yeah it was a nice thing yeah you know, we're itc we went as a team and we came back and uh, yeah, we told him we'd call it Finley Vega. Finley for Finpro and Vega for Vegas. Um, uh, there, there was a there was a small agreement. That if anyone had, none of us have got children. But if anyone has a child, they've got to call it Finley Vega. But um, we decided that <laughs> a duck was fairer. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that.
0: Yeah. So take us back to the problem. So you almost like you had the solution, but but you. Were you aware of the problem, or was it just you know so you were a supplier, but you it, it mm. just it was a pain point to you. was it was it painful from a supplier perspective as well just working with insurance companies?
1: Um, so I guess, yeah, so we really felt that specific pain point. and like I said, it was really both on the carrier side and on the contractor side. So as a construction company, um, like I said, I prefer a claim that's hundred thousand dollars because I can make a good margin on that. But the insurance company wouldn't give, they'd just give us one big claim and a whole host of these small claims. And on a $5,000 claim, I can't make much money. So it takes just as much admin just because we've got all these overheads that we're carrying as a big company. And so we had to do them, but we would almost might run at a loss with those small claims. Um, But we do it because we wanted the $100,000 claim. But then if you think about it, which customers are we going to focus on? We're going to put our love and energy over here on this $100,000 claim. And all of those $5,000 customers, they deserve just as much attention. And so I think it's all about that margin on margin in the the ecosystem, if you like. And so that's what I was saying to Catherine at the time is like, you need to strip that back and be able to get these claims straight to a local contractor. They've got three to 30 people in their team. They love a $5,000 job. That's what they do every day. They're getting out there and they're just really passionate about customer service. The problem for the insurance carrier is they can't deal with 12,000 small contracting companies around the nation. They can only deal with a handful of big suppliers. And so that's why, you know, technology, of course, can enable that. So we created Handy, which is a three-sided platform. So, you know, the homeowner's got a digital experience that takes them right through to, you know, finding their contractor getting their um, estimate, and then right through the repair journey, if you like, rather than just getting a check and see you later, have to fix your property. Um, and then, you know, the insurance company can integrate with their claim system. And then the contractor also has that transparency and everyone can communicate together. So, um, yeah, technology can do that. So that's why we, you know, set about creating Handy. And we really focus on those claims that are under 25,000. Um, so it's really... The, a large volume of the claims um but it's sometimes the stuff that some of the players out there aren't keen on
0: yeah yeah well it's a big problem isn't it like the lower level claims that cause the biggest headaches seemingly for (laughs) insurers yeah because you know it's the solutions have been as quick as to say anything below a certain amount just pay it which obviously opens you up to you know sort of fraud but a toler- maybe arguably a tolerable level of it but that's not really a solution um yeah. through to you know going through this painful process because it really resonated with me I was thinking about this my parents had some water damage in their homes quite a small claim um mm. to get that contractor to them it was months so they're part what of their least. house this small claim it's, it's not being paid, it's not, it was not even being paid, it wasn't being repaired, because they had no control of the process, so, you know, they could have gone onto Handy, selected someone, got some quotes, pushed it through, um, yeah, it's such an obvious solution, and, that, and you know, that they're in the UK, so it's, uh, yeah, when do you come to the UK so you can sort my parents' house out, that'd be great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right, and that's a real pain for um, just homeowners in general, trying to get a good quality contractor, and when you think about it, you know, as a, as a homeowner, you've only got that $2,000 job to offer that contractor and you're not going to give them repetitious work. That's it. And if you're going to make them bid against other contractors, suddenly the priority of your, your job just, you know, is falling away. Whereas, you know, part of the joy for contractors working with Handy is that we can provide them with regular work um, and also we can um, guarantee that cash flow. So one of the uh, really strong motivators for the contractors joining our platform is that um, it's their payment terms are based on their customer service rating. So if they get five stars, they get paid seven days, four stars, 14, three stars, 21, and, and cash is king in, for these small companies, you know, and they're, and they're so passionate about their Google star rating and their handy star rating. And, you know, it means everything to their brand. So then, you know, they want to get paid seven days. So we get contractors saying, you know, just not believing it. Like, you're not going to do that. Like, you know, like, well, you know, speak to it, you know any of our existing contractors and you'll you'll know that we you'll be committed to um delivering on that. So that's, that's part of what's helped us build a really quality good network.
0: That's such a clever model. I love that. Yeah. No, I didn't Very know simple. that. Yeah, it's so simple, but what a thing. Um yeah, what a thing. Because that's yeah, I can imagine it's completely cash flow-driven business and the speed of um uh, and the behaviors that then for therefore encourages is is uh, yeah is obvious. so no, what a simple solution but um still it's about funding because you are you seed round back at the moment i know you raised some money yes. but
1: we, we absolutely happen? are so we yeah. obviously we initially we were an australian business and we raised money back home um and then we um, uh, obtained venture capital investment over here in the us So our major investor is Brick and Mortar, who have uh, backed a number of winners in construction tech. So we're um, very pleased to have them on board. We have 9.4 and Greenlight Read in the prop tech and insurer tech space. Um, We are invested with um, FJ Labs, so who are marketplace, and then uh, Gangels, who invest in LGBTQI founders. And then scale investors back in Australia who invest in female founders. And of course, a a bunch of angels who have been amazing for us since the start. So, yeah, we sort of see our investor group as part of who we're building as our team. So, you know, I think it's really important that they're aligned with, you know, we need them to have the deep expertise, the strong network. We need them to be our cheerleaders, you know, which they really are. And, you know, um, really back us on our vision and driving that way. So very, very pleased. It's a great
0: panel because you've got investors there that represent like culture and values of the business. And then like the insurance side of the business, bricks and mortar property side of the business. So you almost got like a panel of people that are interested from very different perspectives. Um, Does that ever give you any, I know. Once you invest in, they're not driving the business, but they also yeah. you have to you have different. Is there a sort of challenge from um, feeding back investor relationships perspective because they they probably want arguably slightly different things for the business? Is 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 that ever kind of a, an issue?
1: Um, interesting, you say that not at not now. Hmm. So we've been through that early. Um, okay. So we, you know, when we were getting early funding. We had a couple of folks that were um, had a different a way of thinking how we should advance and grow the business. Yeah. I think, um, look, the insurance industry and building a company in the insurance industry is not a small feat. One needs to have um, a lot of drive and, and a, a long vision and know that yeah. you're gonna get there. Um, so uh, determination and patience is, is part of that. Um, So we um, have been able to re sort of build and structure both our investor group and our board to get us to where we need to be for the next evolution of our growth.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's important to get the right investors. we have had so many conversations about that, particularly in today's environment as well. Um, when When did the most recent round of funding come on board?
1: Uh, so that was October just gone, so we raised 2.5 million so that will see us a good eighteen months and we've got a you know a couple of key milestones that um, we want to tick off um, in the lead up to our series A so yeah we're in, we're in a good place. I'm glad that we were able to secure that in this market
0: yeah, yeah, great news um, I wanted to ask you about your kind of experience um Prior to prior to Handy, because you, you you know somewhat of a serial entrepreneur, because um, you owned your, the, it wasn't just a construction company you worked for it was, it was your company, wasn't it? The construction company that you led or you led it, I think. I believe.
1: Thanks, Alex. I, I led the sales side of it, and yes, I was an owner of the company. So when I first started, we um, had thirty staff. We were in Victoria, just a state in Australia, with a revenue of twelve million. And it was my job to grow it along with the CEO. And we grew that company to uh, 360 million in revenue and 300 staff. It's now listed in Australia. Um, so it's the largest um, managed repair insurance services company in Australia. Um, yeah. So that really, um, I guess I've been through those stages of growth of the company and, um. You know, it was my job to set up one of the head offices. So move moved there and building relationships that really part of what that was about was um, understanding what insurance companies were promising. So what was happening originally when I first got there is as a supplier, we were getting claims and we didn't necessarily know which insurance company it was from. And we were just going out to properties and turning up and doing the work. But, you know, one promise from an insurance company is completely different to another. Like you can pay for a cheap premium and you can pay, you know, a lot of money. And so as the service provider, I was like, we should know what we're delivering on here, you know, because I've got a bit of a sales background. I'm like, So um, reached out to the insurance companies and said, hey, did you know we're working for you? And what are you promising your customers? Because our contractors are in your, in your customers' homes and delivering on that, you know. And so I think really like opening up transparency in the supply chain, um, I really saw that that was important right from the start because I I think historically um, insurance the insurance industry hasn't recognised the contractors as part of the industry. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I completely agree. What do you think that transparency does for 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 pricing? I mean, there's there's an obvious kind of. conclusion that i might draw but you know are you seeing an impact on pricing from the kind of marketplace and the transparency of information
1: yes so um i think that um the impact on pricing can be around efficiencies so um you know there's a number of factors that are at play in the market at the moment right so your, your financial markets are obviously creating pressures on the insurance company but then you've got to think about the construction market too right so there's labour shortages, there's material prices that are going up. And um, what transparency can do is open all of that up so that the insurance companies can have a true understanding of, you know, what are those real real costs and then how can we streamline um, the process to then gain some more efficiencies while all these pressures are, are happening. So it's, um, yeah, it's quite a complex, I guess. We could have a whole podcast on that, Alex.
0: let's go for it i um, am because i'm intrigued by i'm really intrigued by marketplaces i'm really intrigued by empowering small businesses in um to really compete with 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 bigger businesses And, and and sometimes that's just competing for this relationship so you know your idea opens up small contractors to these large insurers that may never have engaged before and that's that's crucial cash flow to a business like that um, you know, I can almost think about and reflect on my industry, and that you know a lot of these very large recruitment companies do lots of business with very large insurers, but actually, you know are they getting the best is that the best kind of service for uh, those partners now for a long time? that's not been the case. but the centralization of making that clear and transparent as a process has always been the challenge. so i'm a big I'm a big believer in marketplaces. um what I was wondering what other opportunities do you have other opportunities in mind? you know, um, Are you responsible, for for example, making sure that people are insured, ironically, and compliant? Is that part of the process or is that something that's on the contractors to resolve independently?
1: So um, uh, what else are we involved in? So I guess there's the side of the contractors where we need to ensure that the contractors, when we're vetting them and onboarding them, we need to be doing their background checks, we obtain their licences, we're nominated on their certificate of insurance, we're meeting the owners, they're signing terms and conditions, code of conduct. You know, we need them to be, you know, buckle tight and doing a great job. So we do that sort of verification. But if you think about, um, you know, our contractors are there in somebody's home or they're available to an insurance company's company's, um, customers. Insurance carriers are starting to talk to us about preventative um, repairs or maintenance or, yeah. you know, obviously water shut off the valves and devices. And, and if you're there in a, in a customer's home, could you install this while you're there? Or could we create a subscription product where we can do a couple of preventative maintenance, you know, um, activities per year? So I think that the industry is looking beyond the claim and going, okay, what, what more can we do? Um, the, the trouble, of course, is that there's costs associated. Like it costs yeah. money to get a contractor out to a property and install something. And um, so it's, and then the, the homeowner isn't so excited about preventing a claim, you know, <laughs> you know. So I think, um, you know, it's a challenge for the industry, but there is definitely opportunity there. And yes, of course, we're working with the number of our insurance carrier clients on on some of those initiatives
0: yeah because how does it work from so they're not for the the contractors aren't covered by for example your insurance they're acting independently on their own you just have to clarify that they've got the appropriate insurance to be operating as they are um, that's
1: right and then we need to get really good insurance <laughs>
0: Of course. But coming yeah, course. from
1: coming from an insurance background, you can imagine that was we got that sorted out very early.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering if there's an opportunity for you to embed insurance in your process and your contractors buy insurance via yourselves, you know, because you've got yes. the relationship. You,
1: you, yes, you're not the first person to think of that. We've had a number of carriers <laughs> give us a little nudge. Uh yes, and that's certainly something with there are other, I guess, revenue opportunities that we could offer our 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 contractors over the long term as we we just want to make sure it's all about engagement so you know we're very passionate about being a contractor friendly program so we want you know the industry traditionally has been quite adversarial between and there's been little trust between the homeowner and the insurer between the contractor and the insurer so between all three parties it's you know hasn't been harmonious let's just say that right And so as Handy, we're like, well, the contractor is an important part of this story, and if we can all get on the same page to, you know, the outcome is we all want a great claim. Mind you, a happy claim, that's oxymoron a little bit. But, you know, so we think as Handy, if we can empower the contractors to be their best because they want to be on the tools and doing a good job for the customer. And so, you know, that um, harmonious relationship means we can get a, all folks can get a better outcome
0: yeah the best practice thing because sometimes you don't know I'm really conscious this in my world you don't know what you don't know right I've worked for a couple of really good recruitment companies and and a really good search firm so I've got some best practices from there but I'm also really conscious of what I don't know you don't always know what your competitors do you don't know what good looks like from you know best practice from other small contractors so even kind of that information and, and engagement to to share those Things and those learnings, I think, is really really important for people.
1: Yeah, Alex. When you say that you're talking about your recruitment background, I go straight to um, you know building your team out because in the insurance industry, like um, there's a real strong gravitation to just hire people that have been in the insurance industry forever, and you yeah. and you you need that because the credibility, the knowledge, the understanding. But um, back to you don't know what you don't know you know, we think it's also important to find folks that are strong in character and vision and subject matter expertise, but they may be new to the insurance industry. And so what they then offer is like that different perspective or, you know, over in this, we've come up with this and, you know, and sometimes it's a bit bit jarring, (laughs) but it's like, okay, no, tell us more about that. You know, the insurance industry can deal with, you know, a bit of a fresh perspective. So love that, and I think it takes us further, right? Even if it's um, sometimes not what we, not, we don't want to hear.
0: Yeah, I, I always I always resonates with me that when I talk about those stories, that me and my friend were—he's a sales guy, he used to work in recruitment, but he's, he's a sales guy now—and and I was talking shop with him. I was around his house, and we were just having a having a drink, and we're talking, and I was kind of going off, over this problem sort of business development issue and strategy. Uh, and his wife happened to be there and she's a um, uh, she's a surveyor she has nothing to do with sales or the recruitment industry at all Uh, and then she just thought uh, she's clearly been listening but sort of in the in the background she was doing something else and then she just said around have you thought about this and we both just looked at each other we're like no never brilliant that's the answer you know when you're just thinking it's that outside perspective and and sometimes the advantage is to someone that has no correlation because they ask the sometimes it's the obvious question in the room sometimes it's the kind of like just that different perspective so yeah I think you're so right I mean working in recruitment we we're constantly trying to push the boundaries of what people do want to bring in and you know insurance is quite resistant yeah we we talk about leadership roles and you know someone someone says oh we could look outside the insurance industry and you
1: have to to gauge
0: (laughs) that could and it's like do you mean could as in you want us to look there or going you could we're not going to employ anyone but you could so um or they'll say something like they could maybe credit cards or it's like something like really aligned but um yeah it, we need to be braver I think as, as a kind of industry certainly um so you know talk to me about kind of moving from well I suppose there's two things but but you took the business from Australia to the U.S. Is there been any unique challenges that has come in that journey that, that have either surprised you or kind of led you to, to evolve the offering in the US or, or, or vice versa?
1: Mm. Um, so Alex, the historical um, I guess difference um, between the Australian market and the US market. So the Australian market is much more like the UK where you when you sign your premium, the insurance company says, we will repair your property. So the the insurance company has suppliers and you don't actually have a choice. They're going to make sure that your property is repaired. And so it's really a fulfillment market. You're not going to get given a check. You you just get looked after. Whereas in the US, um, historically, the traditional model has more been like, you're going to have a field adjuster come out. You're going to get multiple estimates um, and then you're going to get paid a check. And then see you later, you go and project manage your property and it's all about customer choice. And so that's quite different. And look, there are pros and cons of both, but um, the model that we were bringing to the US is more that we will look after you, you know, so we, we do the vetting and onboarding and make sure that you get a quality contractor. Um, but in the us market because that's been the traditional way it kind of stops the process nice. and so we have a very straight through model that really you know fast tracks all of those speed humps. but customers are and it, well everyone's trying to stop it along the way and you know go i want to get my check or argue over the number and <laughs> you know all, all that sort of all that sort of thing so um uh that's been a bit of a, I uh i guess a Bit of a culture shock for us really um so but we you know we've worked on that with our insurance carrier partners and they're keen to get to straight through claims but right? everyone knows the benefit of you know that sort of efficiency and speed and um taking care and and there are more and more consumers that are just like you know on, I just want to be looked after here like just I'm busy with my job get my home fixed <laughs> you know just do a good job so um we knew that the industry was going that way over here. And that's what we discovered at the, at the initial accelerator we were a part of. They're like, the industry is moving towards managed repair. And in fact, we're direct repair where our contractors actually do that inspection and estimate. And, um, and then there's a desk adjuster that's making that claims decision. Mm. So um, that, that was a challenge. I think one of the things that's... Um, exciting and a lot to do right at the moment is the world of integrations. So everybody's been using a million systems, or they still are, and they're trying to work out how to not have their adjusters do the swivel chair. And so, you know, we're, um, we have a web-based application, which is awesome because that means that integration API, you know, happens. And so our dev team, our software engineering team, have a, a solid roadmap of integrations with estimating systems claim systems other other um i guess providers in the industry this year so that's that's a, a hot topic if you like
0: yeah that's interesting such a cultural shift I was think about that that speaks to kind of america's culture of individualism and and sort of self you know uh whereas but i imagine that are you seeing like hot spots because i would imagine this is this does better in places where, like I can imagine, it's taken off more in California than Central America, right? The, the sort of you know the the you know like San Francisco, no one's bothered about redoing their own bar, you know, work and taking the check and saying because i imagine there's an incentive to get right. If I get a check, then it's up to me, and maybe I can make a bit of margin myself as the homeowner, get it fixed for less, and take some money on top. Whereas yes. actually. I just you know I I thought I was that guy I used to sort of try and do everything myself and now I've just bought a new flat. <laughs> a, I said to this contractor I went, I'm going to give you the keys I'm going to go on holiday <laughs> and I want it to be done when I come back and I don't care what happens in the middle. That's
1: <laughs> absolutely right and you know Alex yes there is cultural differences between different states yes. so in the US look we launched in Texas initially so right in the deep end like bring it on. And then we expanded across Texas and then we went to California too. So, you know, we really jumped in the deep end. Um, yeah. And uh, um, awesome, I guess, initiation <laughs> into the insurance market here in the US. Um, but sort of maybe more um, that, that, that sort of, um, I think it's more of a personality type. So yeah. like you said that um, I'm going to be the handyman around the house or the do-it-yourself um you know attitude um that is definitely in the market um but then there's also the folks that are like <laughs> i've I've given it a go before and now please just take care of me <laughs> this, this is too much of a headache you know <laughs> that's, that's, a,
0: that's an interesting point about covid <laughs> the last the last property i, I flipped property with my, my my partner at the time and in during covid because i was there you know so it was like well yeah, I'm plasterboard and a ceiling, but I wouldn't normally. I just I happen to be at home all the time. So I've got nothing else to do. I might as well plasterboard ceilings. <laughs> you know, just that's like...
1: right. <laughs> well, it's funny, like, you know, there are quite a number of claims because people were, you know, all the wear and tear in people's homes, you know, because they're there yeah. all the time, right? So um it really did um, you know, affect that claim claim volume, the day-to-day claims.
0: Yeah, what impact did it have to see? So you you moved to the US to open in the US as COVID happened what what we, we, it feels like we haven't talked about COVID enough on this podcast for a while so what, <laughs> what What impact what impact did that have w- was it oh. sim- was it similar to other places because in the UK construction was allowed to continue but I don't know how far the chain that went down so was that challenging? well
1: Alex look, good question so from a construction point of view um, insurance claims are considered Emer- emergency services if you like. So they're, they're urgent repair. So we, you know, we had all of the complexity of the PPE, you know, all the safety, like wearing masks and and making sure that people were happy to come into homes. And then you know we'd have a lot of claims delayed or, you know, if contractors got COVID or if homeowners got COVID or, you know, um so that was a dance for sure. And it meant that we needed to have um a, a full contractor network so that folks could come in and go out if you know one team was affected then we needed to be able to bring in the you know people off the bench so there was that that kind of thing but for us as a company or and for I guess us as founders so Catherine and I being from Australia I don't know if you remember what it was like um, with Australia just locked down so you know the air you know the airplanes whoop there were none so um when it first happened, Catherine flew back to Australia and I stayed in Austin, Texas. Nice place to be. Um, but that was it. I wasn't going anywhere. So we were actually um, in the US, unable to fly back to visit family and friends for a good two years. Um, yeah. So we started yeah. out we started out in Texas. Um, and then when it really locked down, I needed to be at the beach. So I went to Marina Del Rey. So we were at Marina Del Rey doing the paddleboard thing on the um, on our weekends when all the shops were closed and nothing was, you know, um, available to anyone.
0: Yeah, I d- I did the head to the coast. wasn't quite as exotic as Marina Del Rey, but I, I moved to Brighton during the year. Um, oh, nice. yeah. I was like I need to be near some outside space. But um, um, I digress. Um, I'm really conscious of time, so I don't I don't want to don't want to stretch it too long. But I'm I'm really intrigued. You know, you've it's such an interesting journey it's such an obvious pain point I, I always say on this podcast it's like for me as soon as something someone says something that's you know it's it, it's 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 always like seemingly a simple solution but I used to work in claims which I would say and I was like I know what a mess that side of the business is so it's such a kind of obvious solution but um yeah I, it, it's fascinating so You know what's next for handy is there more geographic growth is there sort of different services yeah where where are you going in 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 2023?
1: Thanks Alex so yeah so if you think about handy there's sort of two parts to our um nirvana if you like so we've got our technology and then we've got our contractor network so when um you think about our technology that's when I was talking about the integrations that we have coming up um and lots of other exciting functionality but on the contractor side yes so we are in 20 states here in the US and we've knocked off some big ones like I said California, Texas, we're in Florida, we're in New England, we're in Ohio, Wisconsin and um, so we're really looking to be national by the end of 2023 um, and we're very selective about hiring our contractors into our network so it can take a bit of work but that's okay we're we're excited about that we've got a great team um, and then I would um say, look, we're building our relationships with both our current insurance companies and and new ones. We've got a nice long list of folks that are keen to work with us, which we're excited about in this in this next, you know, chapter, if you like. And um financially we're working towards cash flow positive. So you know it's um in this market, it's good to be making a, a profit and have control of your destiny. Um so uh you know, I think that's a a smart goal and we're
0: on our way. Awesome. Brilliant. Lovely to hear. Um, Thank you, Chrissy. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Um, Thank you for also turning up in your high biz because I wouldn't wouldn't have been the same without it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So good. Oh, thanks, Alex. That was fun.
0: No, thank you. And, um, yeah, I'll speak to you very soon. And, um, yeah, thanks once again for being a guest.
1: Thank you. Ciao.
0: Bye.